Well, the service for Mimi Carter was really nice yesterday. Gordy and Lisa's sons, Will and Clint, did the music for the service yesterday, which they did a great job with that. And uh, Elise spoke and uh, just paid a wonderful tribute to, uh, to Mimi and honored her life very, very well. I know a number of you guys were able to be there and uh, make the trip out to Plano yesterday, so thank you for those of you that were able to go. I know that meant an awful lot to the family. So you get to deal with me some more this morning. <laughs> Apologize in advance. It's kind of funny, back on Tuesday uh, during prayer meeting, everybody that was here, except for my own mother, was going to be gone this morning. It got to the point where it's like, okay, this isn't a coincidence anymore. Uh, yeah, so yeah, no, I, I didn't take it personally or anything. But uh, <laughs> Kenzie um, was headed down to San Antonio Friday to be there when Britton gets back from his trip. And uh, Bobby and, and Robin were supposed to be cheating on us this morning, going to another church. Uh, some Brazilian friends of theirs. Uh, she's not feeling well this morning, so you can, you can remember her this morning. Uh, but Carl and Shree were there. They made other plans. So I'm like, well, at least my mom is going to be here. So I can count on that. I, I apologize. They obviously got some sort of advance warning, and they made other plans. I apologize that you guys didn't get that notice. So you're kind of stuck this morning. So anyway, um, we are going to continue our journey through the book of Acts that we've been on. You can go ahead and start heading that way. Turn to chapter 11. The book of Acts is super important to us. Not only does it serve as a link between the gospel narratives and all of the letters that were written by the apostles, but it gives us a, a history of the first 30 years of the church. And there is a lot that we can learn from the beginnings of the church. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. So we're going to pick up right where Britton left off last week. He, uh, just so you know, he has been out in Big Bend National Park, went out there with Kenzie's dad on a hiking trip. In fact, they were coming back out of the, the park this morning and heading back to San Antonio. Um, he'll be back with us in a couple of weeks. He's got a, uh, D now he's going to be doing in Kentucky next weekend. So Gordy's going to be bringing the message next week. But we're going to pick up right where he left off. So pop quiz. I know you weren't ready for this, but that's why it's called a pop quiz, right? What did, uh, what did Britton talk about last week? What was going on in Acts? Yeah, nice. Good job, good job. What was going on? What was the storyline that was going on in Acts last week? Who remembers? Audience participation time. <laughs> Peter was in there. Ding, ding, ding. Okay. All right. Britain will be happy. Vision. Yes, I heard that. He'll be happy that you guys remembered something. That's good. Yeah, so uh, you remember the Italian centurion Cornelius? God gave him a vision, right? Said, hey, you need to go, you need to bring this Peter guy in. And then God gave Peter a vision, right? The, the blanket coming down with all of the, the foods on it that the Jews considered unclean. And God said, get up kill and eat. He was like, whoa. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not touching that stuff. And what did God say? He says, don't call anything unclean that I say is clean. And that was God's way of getting the message through to Peter 
right? He didn't realize it yet, but he would soon realize that that was his way of getting through to Peter, that the Gentiles are important to me too, right? Always notice always threes going on with Peter. He denied Christ three times, you know, before his death there. And when, when Jesus was restoring Paul or Peter, right, he asked him three times, remember, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then we see it here. He gave, he gave Peter that vision three times. I don't know what it is with Peter. I like Peter because I can be kind of thick-headed sometimes too. Sometimes it takes a little bit extra to get some things through to me. I think Peter and I had that in, in common. <laughs> but um, yeah, so Peter went with these guys, went to the house of Cornelius. And as he started sharing the Lord with them, the, the Spirit of God just descended on that place, right? And we know the end of the story that Cornelius and all of his household were saved. Very cool story. The hard part for Peter was going back to Jerusalem, right? He had to go back to the brothers in Christ there in Jerusalem and kind of explain what was going on. Because you remember the point of the message last week, there was a lot of prejudice going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews hated them. They thought they were unclean. They thought they were worthless. They didn't deserve salvation. So Peter was going to have to go back and try to explain what in the world was going on at Cornelius' place. You know, he was probably thinking to himself, man, if only they had gotten the same vision I got, then at least it would make sense. They would understand what's going on, but that wasn't the case. He was the only one that got that vision, so he knew when he got back, that conversation was not going to go well. And unfortunately for him, the news of what happened at Cornelius' place got back to Jerusalem before he did. So Luke tells us in here, he says, when Peter got back, they were waiting for him. They said the whole church was waiting for him. Like, dude, what is going on? And so Peter, very wisely, he just told the story. He just recounted what happened. He was, he was there. He was the man. He was the eyewitness account. He just told, he told him about Cornelius' vision. He told him about the vision that God gave him. And most importantly, he just told them that what he witnessed God doing. Again, God's Holy Spirit just being poured out on all of these Gentiles as he was sharing the good news with them. I mean, he was, he was probably like, you know, what did you want me to do? What did you want me to say? You want me to tell God, uh, wait, hang on, time out, this is not good, this is wrong? He's like, I ain't going there. You want to tell God he's wrong, you, you go for it, but I am not going there. And so he says God gave them the same gift of the Spirit that he gave to us. It was just like Pentecost all over again. In fact, it was like a Gentile Pentecost going on at Cornelius' place. Fortunately, when the church there in Jerusalem heard Peter's story and the eyewitness accounts that he gave, they got on board. And that's a very good thing. Right? They gave glory to God for extending his salvation even to the Gentiles. And it was really, really important that this happens, guys, that, they, that this church, that the Jews got on board with this because it laid the groundwork, it laid the foundation for what was going to happen next. So let's get into the text here, Acts chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 19. We're going to read uh, through 21 here. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. 
Now, this verse ties back to, the verse 19 ties back to the beginning of chapter 8 here in Acts. So stick your finger right there because we're going to come right back to Acts 11. But I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Britain covered this way back at the beginning of January. Just a few pages back, chapter 8, verse 1. On that day, that day referring to the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, right? He, he, he was stoned to death for his faith. So on that day that he was martyred, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and out throughout Samaria. So now flip back to where we were. You can see in verse 19 in chapter 11, he picks right up where he left off back there in chapter 8, talking about those who had been scattered by the persecution that happened. And so they started, I mean, they're fleeing for their lives. They can't stay in Jerusalem. It's not going to go well for them if they stay there. So some of them, it said, went up to Phoenicia, just north, due north of Jerusalem, right on the Mediterranean Sea there. Would have been very easy for them to catch a boat and head over to the island of Cyprus. Some continued going north on up into Syria to the city of Antioch up there. But notice, they were only preaching to the Jews. Why? Because they still believed that salvation was only for the Jews. They were still caught up in the prejudice. And obviously these believers had scattered out of Jerusalem before the whole Cornelius thing happened and the news of what God was doing amongst the Gentiles got back to the church there in Jerusalem. These folks were already gone. They hadn't heard about any of that. So there was no thought of even approaching non-Jews for these folks. They would go into these towns. They would find Greek-speaking Jews or, or other displaced Jews like themselves and they would kind of get together. They might preach the word of God. They would form a group of believers and they would, they would form a little church. That's what they would do. Fortunately, again, for us, because we are beneficiaries of this as Gentiles, right? There were some uh, anti-establishment, spirit-led Jews who kind of helped to break this Jew-Gentile racial barrier. And we see them there in verse 20 that we read, men from Cyprus and Cyrene. They were preaching to Greeks, not Greek-speaking Jews, but to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, right? So these were men who had fled Jerusalem, Jews who had fled Jerusalem. They ended up in some of these Gentile-heavy areas like Cyprus and Cyrene, right? And now we see that they're all the way up in Antioch. So we see that Paul and Barnabas weren't the only ones taking missionary journeys back then. These guys were a long way from home. But the important thing here is their familiarity with the Gentiles and with their ways. They had been living amongst them, right? This was going to make it a lot easier for them to relate to the Gentiles that they were going to be sharing with up in Antioch. And notice how they did it. They went in preaching about the Lord Jesus. They didn't preach Christ. They didn't preach the Messiah, which is what Christ meant. The Gentiles wouldn't relate to that. Christ or the Messiah, that, that term had deep meaning for the Jews, but not so much for the Gentiles. So they went in preaching the Lord Jesus as Savior and Lord. How important is it for us to be able to meet people where they are when we are talking to them about Jesus? 
you know their background, you know their history, you know their experiences, you may know what they're struggling with. All of those things can really help you in how you are going to approach them to talk to them about Jesus. And that's what's going on with these guys from Cyprus and Cyrene up in Antioch here. Antioch was a, an interesting city. It had been around forever. It was founded way back in 300 B.C. It eventually became a free city under the Roman government, so it had its own self-government. And it eventually became the capital of Syria. And when that happened, it became very popular. People started flocking to Antioch, and it grew like crazy. In fact, it was the third largest city in the world at the time that Luke was writing this, behind only Rome and Alexandria. Over a half million people here in Antioch. That's, that's huge back in that day. It was famous for its culture. It was famous for its business. And it was famous for its sports. Anybody watch Ben-Hur? The chariot race? The, that's like the biggest scene in the whole movie, right? That was in Antioch. They were huge on their sports. Unfortunately, it was also very famous for being a very evil, very vile place. About five miles outside of the, the city was the Temple of Daphne, who was supposed to be the, the lover of Apollo, and they built this massive garden, 10 miles in circumference, and it was just populated with prostitutes. So you get an idea of how wicked this place was. Writers in that day would say that Antioch corrupted Rome. We know how bad Rome was. <laughs> so you can imagine what was, kind of stuff was going on and Antioch, but the Lord was with these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, and they had amazing success. Verse 21 tells us the Lord was with them, and a great number of people responded to the good news and believed and were saved. So I love that God went into one of the largest and most corrupt places on the planet at that time to plant the first Gentile church. That's what we're seeing here, folks, the first Gentile church. This is a big thing. So the first thing that we can learn from the early church this morning is that it was founded on and grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ. It was founded on the grace of Jesus. It wasn't founded on the legalism of the Jews. It wasn't founded on all of their rules and jumping through their hoops to, to be the right kind of person. It was all about Jesus, who he was and what he did. That was the foundation, and that's so, so very important to be the foundation for any church. So that's the first thing that we can learn. The second thing that we can learn from the early church is that they were proclaiming the gospel. They were seeing people believe and turn to the Lord. This is why we're here, church. That's why you're seeing such an emphasis being placed on evangelism right now. It is foundational for the church to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ outside of these walls. That's why we're here. That's what they were doing. And God was with them and was giving them great success. So those are the first two things, founded on the truth of Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel. And something else to note here, these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who founded the first Gentile church, which is a huge deal, especially for us, who were they? We don't know. Their names aren't given here. God knows who they were, and that's what's really important. But these men were obviously more concerned with people learning the name of Jesus 
than they were about people learning who they were. And I say that this morning because sometimes we can get way too wrapped up in wanting credit for something that we've done when what we really need to be concerned about is whether or not God is getting the glory for what we're doing. So I, I love that these men from Cyprus and Cyrene are, are nameless for us. I, I love that. So if it wasn't bad enough, the Jews in Jerusalem had to deal with this whole Cornelius situation. Well, now they got another one. <laughs> now they have another Gentile outbreak. Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Let's see what happens here. Verses 22 through 24. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to, be, to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the church in Jerusalem had a much better response this time around, didn't they? <laughs> when Peter was on his way back from Cornelius' place, they were ready to rip his head off. This time, at least, they thought, okay, we'll send up one of our leaders to go check this out. It's like, man, we keep hearing about this stuff. We don't know what's going on. Get up there, check this out, report back. Let us know what's happening. And they chose a good guy. They chose the right guy in Barnabas. We know, we know some things about Barnabas, right? We first met him back in chapter 4 when he sold a piece of land and he brought the money to the apostles to be given to help the needs of other believers. And we also know that he had enough respect in Jerusalem and in the, the surrounding areas that he was able to vouch for Paul, Saul, right, after his conversion. You remember how all that went down, right? I mean, God did this amazing thing on the road to Damascus and, and saved Saul. And, and after Ananias helped to restore his sight, I mean, he hit the ground running. He didn't waste any time. He started preaching, you know, and he was going to the church. And he was like, hey, I'm here. It's me. You know, Saul, one of you, I'm one of the brothers, God save me, let's get together, let's do this, let's go, let's, I'm ready. And they're like, whoa, whoa, it's like, no, 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 we're not stupid. You know, you're, you're the wolf in sheep's clothing, we know why you're here, we know who you are, this is just a hoax, this is a game, we're not falling for it, you just need to just keep moving, right? But Barnabas was able to step in, put his arm around him and bring him in and say, whoa, hang on guys, this is legit, this is for real, God did change this man's life. He's on our team. He's on our side. It's okay. You can trust him. That says a lot about Barnabas, doesn't it? The other reason why Barnabas was the right guy to send up to Antioch was because of where he was from. Back in Acts 4, it tells us where he was from. He was from Cyprus. Where were the men from in Antioch who founded that church? Cyprus. This is really important. Because when he shows up in Antioch, he's not going to come across as being an intruder. He's not going to come across as somebody up there who is only coming in to, to critique and criticize or judge or even take over to, to, to show them how to do church the way the Jews did. Barnabas was going to fit right in. Barnabas was going to be one of them. In fact, there's a good chance that he already knew the church founders there in Antioch because they had all come from the same island. So they would have known him. They would have known who he was. They would have loved him. They would have known what he is capable of doing. So how did he respond when he got there? Verse 23, when he saw what God had done, he was pumped. He was excited. 
Again, you send the wrong church leader up there from Jerusalem, and they're probably going to be anything but happy with what they're seeing going on in this Gentile church up in Antioch. But Barnabas saw evidence of God's grace, and he was just thrilled. And he started doing his thing, right? He started encouraging everybody. He started exhorting everybody to stay fully committed to the Lord. You've probably heard what the name Barnabas means. Son of encouragement, encourager. It was obviously a gift. He's in there doing his thing at the church in Antioch. And we see in verse 24 the impact that he had on the church. He got there, he got, he got busy. He got in there, he got plugged in, and he began helping. And it says, again, a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the third thing that we can learn from this early church is that they were growing numerically. It's been mentioned two times now. When you have a church that is founded on God's truth and that church is proclaiming the gospel to those outside of the church, that church is going to grow. So the best way to add to the church is for T and Sarah to keep having babies. No, just... It was kind of cool last week. We had five babies here. I don't know if you guys were counting. But uh, we had Simon here, Brennan Nehemiah. Uh, Riley was over here. She's a friend of, of Kenzie's. Had her boy with her. Of course, we had Ace and Zion with us. And you guys had Remy and, and even Ayla. So it was awesome last week. That's a great way to grow the church. But the best way, the best way to add people to the church is to add people to the Lord. That's the best way to grow the church. Let's keep going here. Verse 25 and 26. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians there at Antioch. Why do you think Barnabas went looking for Paul? I'm calling him Paul. That's his Gentile name. We're talking about the Gentiles. We're just going to stick with Paul. Why do you think he went looking for Paul? The, uh, the, the term great number there that we see in verses 21 and 24, that gives us a clue. That name, that term literally translates great multitude, giant multitude, massive multitude. A lot of people were coming to the Lord. And there was a lot of teaching that needed to be going on there. And Barnabas was doing the bulk of this. And it got to be too much for him because of all the people that were coming to the Lord. This was a great problem to have, but he knew he needed help. And he knew who they needed. Now, it's been at least nine years since Paul fled Jerusalem after his conversion when Barnabas is going to look for him here for safety reasons because people were the Jews were trying to kill him. And so they sent him back to Tarsus in Cilicia, where he was from. So it's been at least nine years ago that that happened. And you can bet that, that God was using this time to grow Paul and to teach him how to rely on his Holy Spirit. But you can also bet that Paul wasn't sitting still. I mean, when he, he hit the ground running, like we said. So you can bet he was all over Cilicia and probably all over Syria preaching and starting churches, probably getting kicked out of more towns knowing how things went for him. But he was staying busy, so you can bet it probably wasn't very easy for Barnabas to find him. He's probably having to try to follow the trail of all the churches and towns he'd been kicked out of. 
But he did eventually catch up with him, obviously. And you can be sure that God had Paul ready after all these years. Called, they're called the quiet years for Paul. We don't know a whole lot about it. You can be sure that God had prepared him for what was coming. So Paul obviously agreed to return to Antioch with him. And it says that they stayed there with a the church for an entire year teaching the people. Imagine having Paul and Barnabas pastor your church. <laughs> I mean, nothing against Britain or any other pastor you've ever had, but I'm just saying, that's kind of like a dream team, you know? You can imagine the amazing things that must have been going on there in Antioch with those two guys being there. So the fourth thing that we can learn, <coughs> excuse me, from this early church is that they were growing spiritually. Good, sound, biblical teaching that is understandable, that is relatable, that is applicable, is paramount to the well-being of any church. And spiritual growth is something that we should all seek. It's becoming more and more like Christ. That should be the goal for every believer. We should be seeking out good biblical teaching every opportunity that we get. And that was going on here in Antioch. Now, at the end of this passage right here, Luke also notes that Antioch was the first place and the first time that followers of Jesus had been called Christians. Kind of interesting. Another first. We got the first Gentile church, and now this is the first place and time where they were called Christians. It's clear from this brief statement that we have here that it was the people of Antioch who were calling the church Christians. It wasn't them calling themselves Christians, not yet. It started out being an insulting term. It was a derogatory term. It was a term of reproach. It was like these people in Antioch saying, like, who are these crazy people over here? Look at what they're doing and how they live their lives. They come into our city. They don't worship our gods. They don't live by our standards. Thank goodness. Right? They, they live lives totally different than ours. And so mockingly, they called them Christians. And that term meant Christ's men or belonging to Christ or a party of Christ. That's why they called them that. But what's cool is the church thought it was wonderful to be called Christ's men, to be called you belong to Christ. They thought that was a great thing, and so they turned it into something courageous, and they started calling themselves Christians. And here we are. Pretty cool. Very cool. You can bet they counted it joy to suffer reproach for his name's sake because they were so committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of people that kind of thoughtlessly call themselves Christians. You know, it, if you are a Christian this morning, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, wear his name well. I, I would even say don't claim it if you're not going to live it out. Because that's not helping these Christians at Antioch certainly wore the name proudly. All right, a few more things we need to see about this early church. The last part of our passage, pick up in verse 27. We'll finish the chapter. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. 
This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, everything that we have kind of covered up to this point about this first Gentile church has been about doctrine, it's been about teaching, it's been about proclaiming the gospel. Now we see another important part of any church, love. The church and Jerusalem had sent some prophets up to Antioch. Prophets in the New Testament were, were foundational to the church, just like the apostles were. They, they spoke on behalf of God, they preached, and in some cases, they predicted the future, like Agabus does here. So through the Spirit of God, he tells the church there in Antioch that there was soon going to be a severe famine throughout the Roman Empire. And we know from history that that famine was even more severe down in Judea. And, and that's pretty cool, right? We can look at other historical records outside of the Bible to see that this famine actually took place, and it took place during the reign of Claudius. You look through the historical records, and you see in AD 45 and 46, this famine took place. I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty cool that extra-biblical or non-biblical accounts, historians, verify Scripture, and vice versa. Josephus, Tacitus, Cassius, all talk about this famine outside of Scripture. I just love that. I think that's super cool. So here's the love. When these disciples heard through the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine, they believed it, and they began preparing for it. They didn't wait around to see if it was really going to happen or not. They believed what they heard, and they started preparing. All right, it's coming. we got to start storing up. we got to start making provisions here. And the cool thing is that they didn't just think about themselves. They weren't just caring for themselves, right? They realized that that famine was going to be especially severe down in Judea. So they worked to prepare a gift to send down to Judea to help the fellow Christians down there. And many of these folks were poor. They didn't have much to give, but he says everyone gave according to his ability. I can see some of these people making some extra tents to sell or growing some extra crops to sell or making some extra pottery to sell, doing whatever they could to contribute to this gift. Every person did what they could. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? A beautiful picture of the body of Christ coming together to provide for somebody in need. So that's the fifth thing that we can learn from the early church is that they were a loving church. And I don't want you to miss this. Who were the Gentile Christians in Antioch showing love to? It was the Jews. The Jews in Judea. The people who hated them. The people who discriminated against them. The people who looked down on them. Didn't think they were worthy of salvation. They're putting an offering together for people who were considered their enemies. If that's not a God thing, folks, I don't know what is. Good churches love all, and they love well, just like the church here in Antioch. The sixth thing that we can learn from this early church is that they were a giving church. Luke tells us that every disciple, every member of that church gave to provide help for the churches in Judea. It would have been very easy for them to be human and just take good care of number one, right? Just provide for themselves, take care of themselves, make sure that they had enough to get through this famine. 
But that's not what these, these Christians in Antioch did. They sacrificed. They went above and beyond. And they did whatever they could to provide a huge blessing for the Christians in and around Jerusalem. And the church didn't just send money. You notice that? Very in there. They sent men. Who did they send? Down to Jerusalem to deliver the offering to the elders there. Paul and Barnabas. They sent their best. They sent their best. They knew that Paul and Barnabas could help those churches down in Judea in so many more ways over and above just delivering this, this gift, this offering that they had put together. So the seventh and last thing this morning that we can learn from this early church is that they were a sending church. God had blessed them with a solid foundation. He had blessed them with a strong leadership, with, with great teaching, with amazing growth. God had provided for this church in so many amazing ways, and they knew how important it was to share what they had with others. They understood that they could do even more good for the kingdom of God by helping people in other places. We are ascending church. Have you thought about that? Every time one of our member families or individuals has to leave for a new job or family reasons or whatever, and they go someplace else and they find a new church and they plug in and they start helping and serving, we sent them. When our students graduate from high school and go off to school or go off to the military or wherever they go off to, and they join another church and they get plugged in and they start helping and serving, we are that sending church. I, I love that right now, right now, down in College Station, Gavin's down there playing bass for First Baptist Church. I love that kind of stuff. We are a sending church. Every time we send a group out for a short-term missionary or a short-term mission trip, we are a sending church. We are sending that group to that place to go do the Lord's work. So we are ascending church. And God willing, we're going to be able to raise up pastors and missionaries from this church who will take the gospel to new places. So you can see how much we can learn from the first Gentile church ever started in one of the most unlikeliest places on earth. I want you to look at this list. Do you see Freedom Fellowship in this list that we've talked about this morning? I do. We are founded on the truth of Jesus Christ. We are proclaiming the gospel within this church and outside of these walls. We have started growing numerically again. We are certainly growing spiritually in our walks. We are a loving church. We are a giving church. We are a sending church. Now, is there room for improvement? Of course there is. Is there more room for growth? Absolutely. But I want to make sure that you understand this morning, this message is not about doing more or doing better. It's about being the church that God has called us to be. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. So what can you do? Well, first and foremost, if you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, 
that's where you need to start. Look back at verse 21 real quick, if you're, if you're still there in chapter 11. What did he say? What did Luke say? The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Those last five words of that verse are very, very important. There's a lot of people out there that will tell you that they believe in God. There's a lot of people that will tell you that they even believe that Jesus was a real person, and that's great. But until you turn to the Lord, until you place your faith in Him and invite Him into your life to be your Savior, you're not a Christian. Going back to the meaning that, that first started way back in Antioch, you're, you're not a Christ man yet. You're not a Christ woman. You don't belong to Christ. You're not a party of Christ yet. So if that's you this morning, you need to move beyond just belief in a God and you need to make his son Jesus your Lord and Savior. And you can do that this morning, make that very, very important decision this morning. If you already know that you're a Christian this morning, what can you do? If you already belong to Christ, you're already a Christ man, a Christ woman, you, you are already a party of Christ this morning, you can take your place in this church and you can start using your gifts and your abilities and your passions to serve the Lord right here. Britton laid out all of those ministry teams last week during our, our new members class, right? Pray over those. Where does God want you? Where does God need you to plug into this body and take your place and start doing your part? We want to be more like that early church. It's a great example. And that's how we're going to do it. Continue focusing on all of these things. I want to give you just a couple of minutes this morning to respond. If you're that person that needs to take that step of faith beyond just believing in a God and inviting him into your life this morning and making him your savior. I pray that you would just come up here and, and let me know that. I would love to help you with that this morning. You may want to just come to the front and kneel and pray. If you've got things going on in your life, you just need to seek God's face in and be praying about those ministry teams. Be praying about your place here in this body where God needs you to be as we continue to strive to be the church that God has called us to be. I'm just going to give you a couple of minutes to respond. You can bow your heads this morning, and then I'll close this.
Lord, we thank you for your word, for the examples that we have to look at, God, to see what a church is supposed to look like. Thank you for this church, for how you have had your hand on this place and these people. And Lord, we want to be your hands and feet. We want to be the light that shines in this dark part of the world. God, help each one of us to find you, to have that assurance that, that we belong to you, that we are yours forever, God, and help us, each one, to understand that you have brought us to this place for a reason, that you have given us specific gifts and abilities to become a part of this body. Help us to take our place, each and every one, make this the best church that we can be to have the most impact for your name, for your kingdom. And we love you. We honor you this morning. We lift your name up. Thank you for who you are, for calling us to be your people, for making us your bride, for having your hand on us here in this place. Go with us throughout this week, God. May we be your hands and feet as we go forth to take the gospel with us and proclaim it, Lord, to the people that were around this week. Again, we love you and we thank you. We praise you this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.